You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. This morning we're reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 6 um, through to 7 verse 1. Okay. Working together with him, then, we appeal you not to to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favourable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favourable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labours, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honour and dishonour, through slander and praise. We are treated as as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold, we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak to you as children, widen your hearts also. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing, and then I will welcome you, and I will be father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Almighty Lord. Since we have these promises, beloved, Let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of the body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of of God. Well, 2 Corinthians 6. Uh, Just, uh, hey, a quick survey. uh, Who's been finding the book of 2 Corinthians interesting? Interesting? Uh, Life-giving? Helpful? I didn't even know there was a 2 Corinthians. (laughs) <laughs> well, we're in 2 Corinthians uh, and the, the book it is, as Tash mentioned, it, I mean, Tash is doing a great job with our kids, as we've already seen. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a book that um, it's really the pastoral epistle. It's where Paul is pouring out his heart to this church that he just has such a father-like love for these guys and in their almost naivety. And this book is being put together. It's a it's a letter. Many commentators think it's the third in the chain of letters or the fourth. Um, there's been a little bit of argy-bargy going on. Um, and Paul is now addressing them. It's a... Uh, 
in line of uh, he was meant to visit them on his way back from Macedonia. He didn't. And now he's explaining himself, but he also takes this opportunity to explain why he does what he does. And in that, he just injects these massive theological truths. And so this is a book that we trace through when we see Paul's logic of thought as he explains why he's doing what he's doing, who he is, who Jesus is. And a lot of what Paul does is because he just basically sums it up. He's just like, mate, I do what I do because Jesus is so good. He's so good. Jesus is so good. Jesus is Lord. This is the message that he declares. This is the ministry that he has. And it is, he says it's the ministry of reconciliation with God. Uh, our text, our chapter today uh, with the first bit of chapter seven, the verse one, um, I mean, firstly, it just highlights how um, sometimes unhelpful chapter headings can be uh, because sometimes it just like ruins our frame of thought. It ruins our, our chain of thinking. Um, but it's really important we have context for what we're looking at today from last week. So I mentioned if you're with us last week, Paul is now at a point where he's been explaining himself about how he's a, a minister or of you know, giving this message of reconciliation, rejoining, you know, recreation life with God. And now then he just does it. He's just doing it now. He's just like, I'm just, I've got to do it. I'm t- sick of talking about it. I just want to do it. So this is where he finishes off last time in chapter five. He says, therefore, Corinthians, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Whoa, a new creation. Who would love a do-over? If anyone, yes, there's some honesty. Come on. I'm with that one. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This new creation, where's it from? All this is from God. <laughs> a new creation from God? Wow, I don't have to re- redefine myself, recreate myself. It's from God. What an amazing gift. It says, all this, is, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Wow, Jesus brought us to God. Jesus Christ suffered the righteous for the unrighteous to bring us to God. (laughs) What the intergen moment, the separation of Adam and Eve from God out of the garden, out of his presence. God's just like, I made a promise and I'm fixing it. Jesus is going to take the punishment for all the sin of the world so that my people can be back with me. I'm bridging the gap. I'm inviting you back. And so that you know that you don't have to worry about all the bad things you've done, they're all, they're all dealt with. They're all taken care of. The debt has been paid. The ransom has been paid. The punishment has been had. We are good now, guys. We are, we are good. Reconciliation. Beautiful, beautiful. He says, he gave us this ministry of reconciliation, this new relationship restoration. <clears throat> not counting the trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So Paul's, you know, he's a bit of theological practice here. He's just like what he does to us, he wants also to do through us. We are people who are saved by God to then point point others that they also can be saved by God. He says, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you, he's just doing it now. We implore you, if you're reading this letter, if you want a fresh start, if you long to be joined again with your maker and creator who made the whole universe, he says, be reconciled with God. He says, for our sake, he made him, Jesus, 
to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Paul's big appeal, be reconciled to God, be joined back to God. And how does that happen? Throw yourself before Jesus and say, I'm so sorry that I have screwed this thing up. I'm so sorry that I bought into the lies. I'm so sorry that I was following in the footsteps of my forefathers in Adam and Eve. And I'm so sorry that I've just been running in the current of culture. You know what? I'm, I, I know that actually I need to go against the grain. I know that I need to turn from that way and turn back to you because in your presence is fullness of joy. And God is so good. He's like, I can do that. And I have done that. I've made a way. There is a path. There is new life. You can be fed. You can be restored. And it's all in Jesus. Follow him. He is Lord. Make him the master of your life. And that is such good news because the king, the Lord, the master, he's not overbearing. He's not evil. He's not coercive. He's gentle. He's kind. He's loving. He embraces you. And he is good. So Paul's coming off the back of this great, big, imploring the two Corinthians. <clears throat> but with any invitation, now he is going through and he wants to make sure that these Corinthians that he's writing to, they're actually hearing what he's saying, but then also taking it seriously. <clears throat> now, here he says, he starts off verse one. He says, working together with him, with God. So Paul called as an apostle, messenger boy, sent by God, working together with him. We appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. We appeal to you, working together with him, not to receive the grace of God in vain. What does that mean? What does it mean to do something in vain? In vain. It means to, to do it to no end, without success or re result. You know, his or her efforts were in vain, without proper respect, misusing whatever it might have been, or changing the inherent purpose or function of what that thing was, doing something in vain. Paul says, do not receive the grace of God in vain. So look, Corinthians, be reconciled to God. There's an amazing gift here. God's goodness, God's kindness, be reconciled to God, but don't receive it in vain. We think about what God's grace is. What is grace? Well, if you've been thinking about what this message of reconciliation is, it's, it is a gift of grace. It is Kindness, kindness from the king. That's what God's grace is. It's, it's favor and an unmerited gift from God. Remember what it said, chapter five, all this is from God. It is undeserved favor. It is free forgiveness, grace, free forgiveness. God's overflowing generosity to this world, his grace, that's why the hymn writer says it's amazing grace. Grace on its own is amazing. It's just like amazing grace. It's just like, look, it's almost, doesn't have, you don't have to say, but it's amazing grace. How sweet the sound to save a wretch like me. This is what grace is. 
And this is what, this is what God's grace does. Ephesians 2, 8, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works. No one has earned reconciliation. It's not a result of works so that no one may boast. Or when Paul writes to the church in Rome, he says, you are justified, you are made in a, you are made in God's eyes just as if you never sinned, justified, just as if you lived the perfect life, justified. You are justified by what you did? No. Because you did enough? No. Because you've earned your way back in? No. You are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. All this is from God. We implore you, be reconciled to God because of this amazing grace. Titus 2, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. So this this is what grace is. It's this kindness from the king. This is what it does. It brings us back into relationship with God. And Paul's now going, don't receive it in vain. Don't receive it in vain. Because this is what grace should look like. It's what it is. This is what it does. This is what grace looks like. Here's some illustrations of grace. You know, grace, we've already thought about grace as a gift. It's a gift. Now imagine receiving an an extravagant gift that you did not deserve or could ever afford. Imagine unwrapping that thing on Christmas Day and being like, I would, what? Who are you to give this thing to me? I could never have dreamed of having this thing. God's grace is like that. He offers us a gift, the gift of salvation that we could never earn on our own. Don't receive that in vain. Don't receive the gift of salvation, Paul is saying, but never actually accept it or take it seriously. Don't disregard it so that you can continue to live whatever you in whatever way you want to live, disregarding Jesus as God. Or what's another picture of God's grace? Redeeming love. Picture a person who's lost in a cycle of destructive behavior. But then there's God's grace. It reaches out and transforms their life, redeeming them from the past, and it gives them a new life and a new purpose. That's God's grace. Amazing grace. Being reconciled with God through the work of Jesus. But then Paul's like, don't receive it in vain. You know, don't be a person who receives the redeeming love of God, but then refuses to let go of their old ways. Rejecting the opportunity of transformation and just continuing in destructive patterns, missing out on the abundant life that God God offers. Don't receive God's grace in vain. Paul is appealing to the Corinthians. What else is God's grace? God's grace is it's it's covenant faithfulness. It's we see God's grace in the, His promises, His amazing promises. You know, think of a friend who stands beside you all the time in thick and thin, always keeping their promises. That's God's grace, grounded in his covenant faithfulness, 
God always keeps his promises. He's a promise keeper. And to receive God's grace, to to look upon his grace-filled promises in vain is to be a person who disregards God's faithfulness, neglecting the relationship that God has made for them through the death and suffering of Jesus Christ on the cross. God promises faithfulness to this person and they just fail to honour their commitment to him in that relationship. That's receiving God's grace in vain. They miss out on deep intimacy with the living God. They miss out on the blessing that comes from being in his presence where there's fullness of joy, pleasures forevermore. Don't receive that in vain. Receiving God's grace is also you receive transforming power. Picture a caterpillar who metamorphosizes into a beautiful butterfly. Do you know that God's grace, God promises to be at work by his power in your life, to transform us from the inside out, to shape us, to conform us into the image of Jesus Christ, his son, so that we might be who he had always intended us to be. That's what God's grace does. When you are reconciled to God by the finished work of Jesus and Paul's like, don't receive it in vain. Don't receive it in vain. Don't miss out. Don't push it aside. Don't stick your nose up to it. Don't continue going along the way that you want to do, ignoring who God is. Like you think of a person who encounters the transforming power of God's grace, but resists change and growth. Just holding on to their old lifestyle, their old identity, their old habits, their old mindsets to just continue to hinder the transformative power of God in their life. Don't receive God's grace in vain, Paul is saying. What else is God's grace like? <clears throat> well, it's sure. It's sure. It's, it's as sure as holding a certificate of assurance or a receipt for a purchase, guaranteeing an inheritance, guaranteeing God's presence, guaranteeing God that we are God's children and you are secure for your new life to come. That is what God in his grace gives. And Paul's like, don't receive God's grace in vain. Don't take the receipt and put it down and forget about it. Don't, for not using it as a motivating factor for your life ahead, that there's security for the life to come. Not, not remembering your identity as a child of the living God. Don't receive God's in, grace in vain, always second-guessing yourself. Like, no, hold the receipt. Look at the purchase signed in seal Jesus' blood. <laughs> God's grace, amazing. Don't receive God's grace in vain. Forget not all his benefits. See, this is how I think uh, the psalmist sums up not receiving God's grace in vain. I feel like Psalm 103 is an appropriate, is appropriate summary of what Paul is trying to say to the Corinthians in this passage. 
Psalm 103. I'd encourage you to open this psalm during the week and to read through it. Psalm 103. Psalm 103. For all you people that didn't want to brave the rain. We love you, we do, but these people are clearly better. (laughs) I'm going to get in trouble for that. (laughs) End up on a YouTube reel somewhere. (laughs) Sarcastic outdoor church pastor rates his congregation in most recent church service outdoors. (laughs) Who's editing this video? Sorry, okay. Psalm 103. I'm going to use the key verse as a refrain going through. This is of David. David writes this psalm. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. He's preaching to himself. He's singing to himself. God, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, that's high, so great is his steadfast love to those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over and it is gone. And its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting, everlasting to everlasting. Everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and the kingdom rules and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not, forget not all his benefits. 
Bless the Lord, O you, his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And forget not all his benefits. Do not receive the grace of God in vain. That's verse 1. Paul moves on through the book there, and he I would encourage you to read through it a number of times. He basically just, he's now, he's talking about there. He goes and talk, this is what God does. This is what God does so that you can receive God's grace. And then Paul is like, and this is how we're living, guys, so that we're not going to get in the way of that at all. We're laying everything down so that you guys will not receive this grace in vain so that you can receive this grace. We are basically removing every obstacle in our lives. And as we do that for your benefit, we're also an example to you guys too of what the grace of God in your life can empower you to do. And then he reminds the Corinthians again. He reminds us all people today. He says, the now is the favourable time. He still, be reconciled to God. Now is the favourable time. Now is the day of salvation. Whoa, that, that is such good news. There's another one of those theological nuggets that just springs out of 2 Corinthians. Now is the favourable time. Now is the day of salvation. This is like hearkening back to the Old Testament prophets who are saying like God's mercy is available now for everyone. Do not receive the grace of God in vain or do not just miss it altogether. Reconcile to be those who point to the one who reconciled them. He says, I don't want any obstacle, want any obstacle in any way so that you can be truly saved. Don't receive the Lord, the grace of the Lord God in vain. To receive it means that you are receiving God's grace ineffectively, unproductively, worthlessly, and Paul actually even alludes to that it's a salvation issue. Now is the day of salvation. That's how bad, that's how much, that's how vain, that's what vanity can do. He says, we're not, we're not restricted by it, you are not restricted by us. But you are restricted in your own affections, Paul says. He's like, puts it back on you guys. You're not restricted by us. We've given everything up so you guys can do this. He says, in return, widen your hearts. Widen your hearts. <clears throat> so they need to receive God's grace. If you haven't yet today, if you're here today and you are not in a relationship with God, if you do not know Jesus as Lord, as good, as beautiful, as true, as loving, as warmth, we implore you, be reconciled to God. And receive God's grace. Don't receive it in vain. Don't receive it half-heartedly. Don't let it compete with anything else in your heart. And this is where Paul goes on to next. 
how why why would sometimes people receive the grace of God in vain? Why would people push it aside? Well, it's because it gets distracted and it has to compete with other things in people's lives. It says verse 14, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness to do with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Now, this is the classic verse that the youth pastors use when the kids are in youth group and they're like, so who should I marry? Who's the one? And then, sorry, I've got to stop dancing. I've got to stop dancing. There's, a, there's another gif. Um, do not be unequally yoked with unbelief. Now, there's wisdom there. It's just like, yeah, the, the, you know, the, most important, the most important question you're going to answer in your life is who are you going to submit to and follow for the rest of your life? Jesus is Lord. That should be The next one is like, who are you going to marry? Because that's the person you're going to spend most of the time with. And then the part, youth pastor goes, 2 Corinthians 6, do not be unequally yoked with young, young believers. Look, guys, there's some wisdom. in the, it, like, you, Make sure that your partner loves Jesus more than you do, and then you'll be fine. Um, but what Paul's getting at here primarily is like, if you are unequally yoked, you are at risk of receiving the grace of God in vain because you're not going to be able to remember all his benefits. Now here, I think Paul is drawing on the teaching of Jesus. This concept of being unequally yoked. Paul is talking to the Corinthian church, a people that have, you know, that he, he calls saints in his first letter. He assumes that they have a faith in Christ. The Holy Spirit's already been at work in their lives to change them, and he's confident of that. He loves them. So he's addressing them, assuming that they are Christians, assuming that they love Jesus, assuming they're trying to follow Jesus, assuming that they know the basic teachings of Jesus. Now, here is what I think he's helping them draw to mind. When Jesus says, in Matthew 11, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. And my, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So you can only wholeheartedly say Jesus is Lord and know that is good if God has, boom, given you that gift of salvation by his grace. Yeah? And then Jesus says, come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That is the invitation into salvation. I will give you rest. <laughs> Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is Jesus in his appeal. He's preaching, call, calling people to himself. What's a yoke? Take my yoke upon you. Do I have to separate that out from the from the white? Is, 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 a, is this a cooking analogy? I don't know. No, it's a farming analogy. It's a the the oxen who plows. They take this big thing that goes across them, their shoulders, and then they have to pull this thing along. This big plowing thing. That's a yoke. And Jesus says, "Take my yoke upon you." And so he's just like, "So you got to basically do life with me because the yoke." Jesus is next to you in the yoke. And it's just like, Whoa, are you serious? Like I get to walk next to Jesus for the rest of my life? Like this is, no wonder he says, take my yoke and you'll find rest because he's actually doing most of the work. <laughs> so he takes that assumption. And then he says to the two Corinthians, Christians, don't be unequally yoked. If you're saying Jesus is Lord, don't be unequally yoked. 
Because if you want to walk along and do life in the direction of Jesus, in the way that he has called you to, hey guys, just logic here. If you're going to strap something to the yoke that's going to go this way and you're trying to go this way with Jesus, what's going to happen? It's going to suck. (laughs) It's going to be hard. You're going to be like, what the heck is going on over here? Like, why why is life not working? Like this, oh, yeah, I'm going to do the Jesus thing, but I also got to do this thing over here. Yeah, that's, that's, that's cool. Unequally yoked. Basically, what Paul's getting at is don't have a side hustle God. Don't have a side hustle God. You know the concept of the side hustle? You've got your job, then you've got your side hustle. I think for many employers, if you know that like your primary employee has a side hustle, their attention might be a little bit divided, right? And Paul's like, don't be unequally yoked. Don't divide your uh, don't divide your worship between Jesus, who you should be walking with, and someone or something else that's going to take you in a completely different direction. It's going to just going to make the journey that Jesus has called you to harder than it needs to be. Now, here's where it gets real sensitive in the sermon. Because this is where I ask you to consider what are some of the things that you might be unequally yoked to. <laughs> what are the unequally yoked things in the surf coast lifestyle? I think Jesus puts his finger on one of them. Whoa. Nearly. Everyone else wants to do that. Money. Is The trust for your life, your confidence for life, is that in a particular dollar amount in your account, forgetting and forsaking God's promises to provide? You can be unequally yoked to money. Image. You can be trying to please and appease the world by submitting to the world's standards of image, beauty, success, forgetting and forsaking God's proclamation over your life that he loves you. Lifestyle, that can be on the yoke. Experience, many Christians forego what God says will bring them joy. They forego Jesus for what they think will bring them a greater joy than God himself and what he gives. They forget and forsake God's promise, presence, where fullness of joy is truly found, and they go after little good gifts of God little things, and they make them God things. And it pulls them away in a different direction from where God would say to go. Comfort. Comfort can be on the other side of the yoke. Maybe that's what is competing with God. Maybe it's uh, comfort for yourself. Conveniently forgetting and counterintuitively forsaking God's call and Christ's Jesus example to deny self and embrace suffering in the promise that all things are rubbish compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ as Lord. Sometimes spiritual practice can end up on the yoke as well, like secular spiritual practice, you know, got some energy stones, some special rocks, healing rocks, some essential oils to heal you, some dream catcher trinkets, you know, to boost your good fortune for the day, you know, to help out with your karma as if that was a thing. Forgetting and forsaking that God is the God of the universe. 
And if you want healing, if you want power, if you want energy, if you want reassurance, we don't go to the rocks. We go to the rock, Jesus Christ as Lord. And here's one that will get me in a lot of trouble. We all love a little bit of unconditional love, don't we? We love being able to find some guaranteed affection. And this one will sting. But something else I can, that I see on the surf coast where God gets pushed out of people's lives is pets. There can be unconditional love from an animal, and that's great. Studies show it and prove it. It's awesome. But here's the thing. If God was to look upon your life and to see your priorities on how much money is spent, how much time is spent, and if he was to balance that with how much, you, how much gets devoted to this animal versus how much gets devoted to Jesus, what does it look like? Now, many of you are here. You're not walking your dog. You can bring your dog. You know, there's more dogs registered on the surf coast than there are kids. So we'll play that game. But it's a real problem that many people on the surf coast are looking for the unconditional love that they want through an animal that will wag their tail when they could have the declaration of God the Father over them and says, you are my son whom I love. (laughs) You are my daughter in my family whom I cherish. The ultimate unconditional love is in God, so we shouldn't get it backwards in its spelling. Now, important thing to balance here for all of that because now we're all feeling all bad. I'm feeling bad, you know. Comfort one, the lifestyle one, not the spiritual practice one. I don't, I've never bought a dream catcher, never will I. And if you have one, throw it in the bin. They're just, you've wasted your money. All of those things, lifestyle, comfort, money, image, those things aren't darkness in themselves, okay? They're good things. You're allowed to have a dog. You're allowed to go for a surf. You're allowed to have friends. You're allowed to you know, be comfortable. But just be aware of when they are becoming so much of a problem that they are leading you away from the light, yeah? When you are actually being unequally yoked. Because you can still drag the plow, be yoked with Jesus and be like, yeah, that thing's over there, that's important, but I'm still going in this direction. It's when that they're on the yoke with you and it's just like, oh, 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 yeah? I really want to make that clear because there'll be some of you that are hearing what I'm saying and you'll hear it very sensitively. And I don't want, and usually if you're very sensitive to it, if you're really sensitive to it, you aren't unequally yoked. Okay. That's, that's general human principle. And for some of you, just like, it's not me at all. Please listen. A good way of gauging whether or not it's on your yoke or not is you can ask these diagnosis, diagnosis questions. One thing is, what would be your hell? What would be your hell? If there's something twiddling there, the Holy Spirit's just like, eh, yeah, that thing, that could be on the yoke. And then if they said, if that thing got taken away from you, if God said tomorrow, gone, and, that, and you're like, no way, man. 
can't submit to Jesus in this, then I would encourage you to bring that to God and say, help me with this. If your hell is not having that particular thing, then maybe it's a maybe that particular thing is a thing of worship. Because what is hell? It's just absence from the presence of God, isn't it? Like heaven isn't heaven because we've got a speedboat, you know, and we're all ripped and cashed up in mansions. Heaven is heaven because we are in the presence of the living God. And hell is hell because we are not in the presence of the living God. Another way of dialing into whether or not that's on your, whether that's something that is unequally yoking you is, and this is a diagnosis question, is on where, where does your mind dwell or what does your mind dwell on when you don't need to be dwelling on anything? You get a quiet moment. You don't need to be thinking about anything particular. Then all of a sudden, it's just that thing. You just drift into that thing again. Oh, just thinking about that thing again. Oh, yeah, just what that thing. What is that thing? Has that thing taken over your mind so that you would forget all God's benefits? Or another helpful diagnosis question, are these good things? So maybe there's something there you're like, is that a yoke thing? Is that pulling me away from Jesus? A good way to look at it is go, well, does that thing actually help me praise Jesus? Does it help me praise Jesus? You know, think think of something like a like a like a pet dog. I'd love a pet dog. It'd be awesome. But I live in a poster stamp townhouse. I reckon having a dog would be awesome because it'd be less like, man, this thing is just like, when I look at that thing and I see its love, I'm like, I'm reminded of like Jesus's love and affection for me. Just like, yeah, this, this, this thing is like an embodiment of grace all the time. <laughs> Isn't it awesome? Isn't that why we love our pets? It's just like it. It's like when God says, I will remember your sins no more. It's just like, yeah, let's go. Like, I just love the enthusiasm of a little puppy. It's just like, let's hang out. Like, I feel like that is God's attitude to us. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, that whoever believed in him would not perish but have eternal life. (laughs) Are those things, do they help you enjoy and embrace God more or are they pulling you away from God? And only you can answer that. And I would encourage you to keep letting God search your heart Search me and know me. Reveal if there's any way in me that is drawing me away from you so that you are not receiving the grace of God in vain. Well, lastly, as we close, God's grace, it transforms and empowers us. Don't finish here today thinking that, where do I go? Do I have to live this life in my own efforts? No. Receive the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Titus 2 says, The grace of God has appeared to bring salvation to all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So God's grace not only saves you, it keeps saving you. 
God's grace not only brings you in the family, it helps you to live as one in the family. So keep leaning into God's grace this week. Don't take it in vain. Know that it's there. And I'll probably just send an email. It's like just read through God's promises of his grace. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you for his good pleasure. It's in 2 Philippians. 2 Peter, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You can grow in that. So think, Christian life, it's not stagnant. Always walking forward with Jesus. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.